Uh, tonight we're going to be looking in Hosea, continuing our series of messages in the Old Testament book of Hosea. And uh, we are in chapter 2 tonight, and the second part of a message I call Scenes from a Broken Home. Chapter 2 and verse 2, bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. As he did with many of the Old Testament prophets, God has worked in the life of the Old Testament prophet Hosea so that his life would provide a powerful message to the people of God, the nation of Israel, specifically to what we now today know as the northern kingdom, uh, the ten tribes that separated from the southern tribes, the land of Israel. Uh, we know this from verse 2 of chapter 1, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. And so God would specifically tell Hosea to go and marry a lady, a person who was involved in harlotry. He meets Gomer. Her name means beautiful. And God works in their life so that somehow they manage to actually fall in love with one another. I, uh, I can't uh, explain that to you. I'm just telling you that's, uh, that what, that's what we say. It's such a remarkable thing uh, that many people have argued with that. In fact, some really smart uh, Bible students have suggested that really uh, Hosea did not know what Gomer was and that she didn't become uh, an immoral person until later on in their marriage. And uh, but that doesn't seem to uh, mirror to work out with what he says in verse 2, uh, where he specifically says, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredom and children of whoredoms, and for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Uh, I have no reason to think that this marriage did not begin, as all do, with promises of commitment, with a promise that she would change, with compassion. But we do know that it would turn into a nightmare of betrayal and infidelity, and that is illustrated by the names of Hosea's children, Lo-Ruhmah, Lo-Ami, and Jezreel. Jezreel was the first one and is specifically spoken of as being Hosea's son. She, Gomer, bore Hosea a child. Yet that is not said of Lo-Ruhmah, and Lo-Ami means not mine, not mine. After the birth then of their second little boy, we saw last week then, uh, it, maybe Gomer promised to do better and perhaps did do better for a while. Uh, God used that uh, reconciliation and the work of forgiveness that was going on to bring a message of hope and a promise of restoration to Israel. Something that God did again and again and again in the Old Testament. There would be a promise of judgment, but God also would promise restoration and forgiveness. The promise of judgment if they didn't repent, but the promise of restoration if they did. But now we see a second scene where the first one was when sorrow 
the sorrow that came about because of Gomer's infidelity, when that sorrow turned to hope, when it seemed that things were going to work out between them. But now we see a second saying, when hope turns to hostility. Remember through this all that God was working in Hosea's life so that his experiences pictured or mirrored the experiences of God with his people Israel. He loved them. He knew everything about them. He knew when their promises were sincere. He knew when they weren't. He knew when they repented. He knew when they just mouthed the words. And so in this situation then, God was working so that Hosea didn't just preach a message. He became a message. That doesn't mean he didn't preach it. I I believe he did. But these these messages were his experiences. And God used it to show out of Hosea's tragic marriage then his love and his commitment to his people Israel. We begin this this section of of the book by looking first of all at the painful confrontations where Hosea says bring charges against your mother. Bring charges. It wasn't long unfortunately until Gomer had started back to her old ways and her old boyfriends. Uh, With that kind of thing going on, sooner or later there had to be a showdown. No husband is going to long endure a woman who says, well, you know, I love you and I, I love my kids, but there's some old boyfriends that I need to spend some time with every now and then. Nobody's going to put up with that. By the time then of this painful confrontation, Hosea calls to the children to plead with their mother to abandon her sinful and shameful ways. I I don't believe that indicated that Hosea had not made a plea or that Hosea had not tried to speak to her. It was just that apparently everything Hosea was doing was falling on deaf, deaf ears. And so he began to call to his children to call out to their mother in hopes that maybe she would hear the voices of her children. It gives us a moment to pause and reflect on how how often children get pulled into the middle of this kind of thing. Jezreel, as the firstborn son and the oldest, would be the one given that unenviable task of pleading with his mother. Becoming the symbol of the first thing God does to try and turn his people around when they're going down the wrong road. As the ministry of God's Son, God's Son, reaches out to us. Sin says, it's my life to live as I please. What I decide to do is my business and nobody else's. Yet one of the most powerful things that we can learn uh, is that our actions deeply affect the people who love us most. You see children then standing at the door of a little parsonage where they're pleading with their mother as she's packing her bags. Mama, don't leave us. Don't do this. Please don't go. Daddy says if you leave, he's going to take everything away from you. I didn't make that up. That's Hosea 2, 2 and 3. 
It even went further because you see uh, the doubts about their last two children, the doubt about their second one, the absolutely plain idea about the third one. They were not Hosea's children. In verse 4, he would say, I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry. And maybe he's saying that in his pain, and I have no doubt that he meant it when he said it. I'll not have mercy on her children. That was, after all, the meaning of the name of one of those children. No mercy. No compassion. If you leave, don't think I'm going to take care of these. Now, he would. Thank God he would. We'll see that play out as we go along. But this is what's there. And so if we can see then Hosea's and that painful, painful confrontation where he almost gives up and then sends the children to plead with the mother. You say, well, why would God set such a thing up? And that should be plain to us. Uh, to a sinning nation turning away from God. Saying to God, now God, I love you. I, I, I really do want to worship you. But there, there's some other gods over here that I want to go worship too. Oh yes, God, we, we, I love you and I, I want to, to be with you. But now, you know, God, I've, I've got these other things over here that I want to go and do. When you see that play out then in the nation, it's, it's obvious who is going to end up paying the highest price for that. And that was their children. The children raised up by such rebellious parents, rejecting God, rejecting God's way, going off into idolatry. What kind of an impact was it going to have on them? God calls them then, to consider their children. That's what this message was all about. And in my mind, I can see Hosea standing there alone with his three children, one of them a preteen and the other very small. One, boom, boom. Let me this tall, boom, boom. Three children. Hosea's maybe got an angry, sullen look on his face. The kids are all crying. Please, please, plead with your mother. Hosea chapter 2. Then we see how Gomer responded. She said, verse 5, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. So that the cries of Gomer's children and the threats of her husband fall on deaf ears. Suddenly all the things her husband does for her means nothing. She doesn't see that at all. And it appears to her as if all the blessings that she longs for, all the things that she wants, all the things she has desire for, all the good things in life will come to her from her lovers and not from her husband. Nationally, of course, what would that refer to? It would refer to a people who would look at false gods, who would look at sin and a sinful lifestyle, saying, that's going to make me happy. That's going to give me what I want. This is what's going to bless me. This doesn't come from you, God. It comes from all of these other things. Of course, in Gomer's life, then 
her husband and children become big liabilities to her and the pursuit of the pleasures of sin. His threat to take everything from her meant nothing. Why? Because she believed with all of her heart that the people she's running to will provide everything she needs. The joy, the excitement, the fun that she's missing with her husband and family, the high-flying lifestyle, if you will, no offense, that seems so drab in the routine of wiping noses and cleaning floors and doing laundry, that jet-setting lifestyle, as we used to call it, is calling her in a way that she cannot deny or refuse. And everything that Hosea has ever done for just looks drab and shabby and mundane and meaningless. The blessing of home and children have turned into a burden. She longs for the carefree life of passion and parties of money and men. But she's deluded. This is a deluded decision. It is a decision made by a person who can no longer properly distinguish between what is treasure and what is trash. What's to be thrown away is meaningless, refuse, dispendable. And what is to be held on to is vital, meaningful, important, a blessing. She throws away the treasure of a man who loves her and children who need her. While laying hold then on the trash of men who she thinks will give her everything. But in fact are going to take everything. Men who will use her, abuse her, take from her. And most importantly, listen carefully, never love her. You see, God played this out in the life of Hosea and Gomer, but it was the life of God and Israel. It was what Israel was choosing. When they turned their back on God and turned then to these other gods and the lifestyle that seemed to them so carefree and so fun and so full of life and full of excitement, but she didn't realize that idolatry is... A fabrication that is put up, uh, made up by men, by people who create this out of their own minds. They create their own religious structure. And it's all built around, not on giving, but on taking. Not on the value of a person, but on using and taking and taking advantage of that person. Idolatry is eat up with that. That's why uh, you almost always find idolatry and human sacrifice even going together so often as it did. Because it degrades people, it takes from them and pushes them into an ever more sinful lifestyle. She can't see then that the life that she is choosing will be filled with hurt and heartache and hardship. But folks, let's not make any mistake about it tonight. This happens any time that God's people turn away from God and turn to the world and turn to sin. What are we turning to? We're turning to a life of hurt and heartache and hardship. It's all it's going to bring. We might look at that kind of life and the people who live it, and it seems wonderful. It seems attractive. It looks like they're having so much fun, so carefree. She longs for that kind of life. 
What Gomer doesn't know is that the people that she is going to long for the life that she's throwing away. What they want is a life with somebody who loves her, somebody who provides for her, somebody who will give her children and stay with her and help raise them and the stability of home and health and happiness. That's what they want. She's going after a delusion, an illusion, something that doesn't exist thinking that she could have this party lifestyle. Sadly, nothing seems to be able to change her mind at this point. She's already made it up. She's leaving her husband. She's leaving her family. She is absolutely convinced that what she needs will be found out there and not with God. With Gomer's case, it would be out there and not with her husband, not with Hosea, not with her children. And so there they are. And they watch Gomer walking away, making a decision, a bad decision, a deluded decision. A decision based on completely wrong information, but pictured the decision that Israel was at the same time making to God. So while chapter 2 begins with Hosea crying to his children, you plead with your mother and, and even containing his impassioned statements in that moment of anger to her and, and what the children were going to say and the threats that were being made. Beginning in verse 6, we see the voice of God then speaking through Hosea. It is God's message so that he works to build a message that is interwoven with it all. A message that's designed to bring a confrontation of truth to a sinning, unfaithful, deluded nation. So God is speaking. What does he say? Hosea chapter 2 verse 6. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her path. So the first thing that God says to this nation, preaching it through Hosea and his situation with his wife, Gomer, who was leaving him and leaving her children to go after her old boyfriends and in a lifestyle that really was all an illusion. Leaving behind the love of her husband, just like Israel was leaving behind the love of God. And God responds. He says, this is what I'll do. Number one, I will hedge up your way with thorns. In the ancient times, shepherds would construct a fold out of thorn trees uh, cut from the surrounding countryside. And the thorn trees that they had in Israel, I can tell you by experience, look very, very much like the thorn trees that we have right here around central Arkansas. Uh, you may not have any on your property. Be thankful if you don't. Uh, I tell you, those things are, are rough. They would take those branches, I'm sure, work very carefully, and cut them and, and weave them together. And even exposed to the climate as they would be, they would simply dry and become more and more harsh as time went on. They would use this then as a protection for the sheep. Number one, the sheep wouldn't go out, but number two, uh, predators would not come through. They wouldn't do it. You don't, 
You don't fight your way through a hedge made with those thorn bushes. You won't do it. It'll cut you to shreds. You don't fight your way through it. There was no way to. You go around. These thorny fences then were far more effective than barbed wire would have ever thought of being. When we think of that hedge that God promised in this passage to set against them, I will hedge up your way with thorns, we can't help but think of the dialogue between Satan and the Lord in Job chapter 1. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Well, Job has every reason, God, Satan said, to fear you. Have you not built that hedge around him? It was a hedge of protection. A hedge that kept Satan out uh, so that the enemies could not come against him. It was a hedge protecting Job and all that he had. Now, here in Hosea, God said that hedge of protection will not only be taken away, but it will instead become a hedge of discipline. So that as Israel would go, as Gomer would go, God would be working in the life to make their path a very, very painful path. And the design, of course, is to encourage him to what? To turn around and go back to God. I'm going to hedge your way in. If you're going to keep going this way, you're going to have to go through a very, very painful process to keep doing it. The most miserable person in Cabot, Arkansas tonight, or in this state, or in this country, maybe even in the world, the most miserable people are not those who are lost and who are living a life of sin. The most miserable people are Christian people who are living a life of rebellion against God. See, when we're saved, God doesn't make it where we can't sin. But He does make it where we can't sin and enjoy it for long. The pain just gets to be unbearable. Second thing he mentions then, I will wall you in so that you cannot find your paths. And this is very pictorial image. There are times when God would say, I've set before you an open door and no man can shut it. But here he talks about doors of opportunity and doors of blessing and doors of fruitfulness are all closed. So that as they went from God, they would find themselves running into a brick wall. And then another one. And then another one. I'll go this way. Boom. I'll go this way. Boom. I'll go this way. Boom. There was only one way that God would open the door to, and that was back to him. As long as they're running away from him, they're going to hit door after door after door. God says, I'll shut this in. You can't find a path. How many of you know tonight that if you're trying to run from God, there is no path that you can find that's going to make that successful? There's not one. Verse 7, she will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. 
Isn't it interesting that the very things that people turn away from God for, the very thing that Gomer was turning away from Hosea for, to go back to her old boyfriends. But now all of a sudden, there's nothing for her with them. God took that away. So that sin that we think will provide joy, sin that we think will provide happiness and excitement, God promises that His judgment will fall on the very things that we turn to. The very, very things. I've seen this play out in the lives of preachers that God called to preach. Who left Him and left the work that He had called them to do. And I've seen that door shut on them again and again and again and again. But it's not just on them. It's on all of God's people. As the very things then that people turn to in order to try to get away from God. That God brings his particular judgment on those very things. She will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. Verse 7, then she will say, I will go and return to my husband. For then it was better for me than now. Well, I can't find any of my boyfriends. The ones that I did find uh, aren't doing anything for me anymore. I'll just go back to Hosea. I was better off then. But the implication was that Hosea wouldn't take her back in that situation. Her judgment was not finished yet. Why? Because Gomer was unrepentant. She came back to Hosea only to get what Hosea could give her. Do you think that God knows when his people come running to him, but all we really want is his stuff? Do you think God knows that? But all we really want is his blessing? We turn away from him, and when we run into trouble and get in a mess we can't get out of, when the blessings become burdens and the prosperity become problems, we run to God saying, help me. But God knows if our heart is not repentant. We know that from verse 8. For she did not know, God said. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 8. For she did not know. Israel didn't know. Gomer didn't know. Coming even saying, well, I'm just going to go back to Hosea. Hosea will take care of me. But she still doesn't know. Look at what God says. She still doesn't know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore, I will return and take away my grain in its time, and my new wine in its season, and will take back my wool and my linen, given to cover her nakedness. Now will I uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her sabbaths, all her appointed feasts, and I'll destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. I'll make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I'll punish her for the days of the Baals to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me she forgot says the Lord. Israel took the blessings God gave them 
and prepared with God's blessings an offering for the Baals. It was bad enough when they took God's blessings and just kept them. But now they're taking God's blessings and turned them into an offering for these false gods. So that the things that they did not thank God for, they instead are thanking Baal for. And so when Israel would come back to God in that type of situation, saying God will still take care of us, God will provide for us, God said, no I won't. We can put this down in our program, friends. God is not an enabler. God is not an enabler. God knows when His blessings or His help will merely serve to enable us to continue in a self-destructive lifestyle or continue in our rebellion against Him. God knows that. God knows it. When we forget the provider of our blessings and when we begin to think uh, that the world or our own proudness or ability <coughs> provides us with our blessings, then God is able, he's very able, to remind us of the real source of our blessings. How does he do that? Notice the pronouns in God's message to him: My grain, my new wine, my linen, my wool. God speaks of the basic necessities of life. Remember Paul the Apostle said, having what? Food and raiment therewith to be content. You see, remember that? Food and raiment. Basic necessities of life. We have to have food. We have to have clothing. And so the silver and gold was their prosperity. But now he speaks of just their necessities. And God calls them mine because he has promised to provide us with the means to have food and raiment. So God's judgment then would fall not only on their prosperity, but also upon their necessity. And then God speaks of her mirth, her feast days, her new moons and her Sabbaths. These were all days of worship. So that God's judgment would also fall on their joy of serving Him. And they would no longer experience the joy of worship. They'd no longer be able to gather together and sing with joy the songs of praise of Zion. And feel the joy in their heart that comes from worshiping God. I see a lot of people these days who talk about, well, you know, there's something wrong at church. And I agree, there is. There's something not right up there. Yes, you're right. But oftentimes what's not right and what's wrong in the church is right here. And when that's the conviction that God is bringing us because something is wrong and what's wrong is me, then what we're supposed to do at that point is to repent to God, to turn to God. 
And just like when he hedged up our row with thorns, when he puts those brick walls in front of us and we keep hitting them and hitting them and hitting them, when God's judgment then falls on the very, very things that we turn to in order to say, I'm going to turn to these things, I'm going to use these things, not going to worry about God anymore, and then God turns his judgment on those very things. He takes away our prosperity, and then he takes away even our necessities. Pretty bleak picture, isn't it? What does he want? Turn around. <laughs> Turn around. Come back to me. Come back to me. That's what he's saying. The way you're going is a way of heartache and a way of hopelessness. You need to repent. You say, well, I go to church and I don't feel it anymore. No wonder. No wonder. Under this kind of conviction, a lot of American Christians at this point will simply find another church with louder bells and uh, less Bible. God speaks of their vines and their fruit trees in last thing, what we'd call their nest eggs, their little cash crops that can be used to provide an income or extra income during difficult times, their source of security. Well, I've always got this to fall back on. I can... I can sell some grapes. I, I've got the fruit trees. I can sell the fruit. We'll, we'll be okay. But even that was going to be taken away. You see, God was giving us a glimpse, and just a glimpse of what was going on in Hosea and Gomer's life as Gomer throws away the treasure of a man who loved her and provided for her and was faithful to her, of children who loved her and who needed her, to run after the illusion, the delusion of lovers who would only use her and abuse her, who would only take from her, and who would never, ever, ever love her. She became then a picture to God's people, leaving Him because we forget that He's the true source of our blessedness and happiness. We think there's something else. And I have to say to you tonight that that think, that think, that thought, that feeling goes way, way back in the human experience. There was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had everything. They had unbroken communion with God. They didn't have to work. They felt no shame whatsoever about their experience. They had unbroken fellowship with God and with each other. They didn't have to work. They had all the food they could eat. They had plenty of shelter, all they would need, and they didn't pay taxes. And what did the devil tempt her with? God's holding out on you. There's something more. There's something more. something more she bought it people have been buying it ever since when we think there is something else out there that will make us happy and fulfilled when we lose sight of the fact that it is God's people it is God who provides us with our blessing it is God who provides us with our prosperity it's God who provides us with the need that the necessities of life for the means <coughs> for us to make the necessities of life 
We turn then away from God. Maybe not altogether. Maybe the offer that we make to God or that people make to God today would be the same as Gomer did to Hosea. I love you. love the kids. But I just need this guy over here some too. So we see how God responds. First of all, he said, you'll walk a thorny path when you walk away from God. Open doors of opportunity will turn into brick walls and the things you rely on for security will be found ineffective to protect us from God's judgment. That's the message of Hosea chapter 2. When hope turns to hostility. Sometimes when we're reading through these passages, it's hard for us to think of where God and Israel stop and Hosea and Gomer start. Well, is this about Hosea and Gomer? Or is it about God and Israel? And the answer is yes. Yes. It was about Hosea and Gomer and the tragic set of circumstances that played out as Gomer leaves Hosea and her three children, forgetting that Hosea was the one who was blessing her, Hosea was the one who loved her, Hosea was the one who was going to take care of her. And goes out to these others thinking they're going to provide for her when all they were ever going to do was take. Yeah, it's that story. It's also the story of God's people, of Israel, of old. God's people who would turn away from God thinking... Forgetting that God is the one who provides us with our blessings. Thinking maybe, well, we can walk on both sides a little bit and it'll be okay. No, that's not going to be okay. It comes down to us when we turn away from God, when we walk away from God as God's children. We're going to walk a thorny path full of obstacles and face the judgment of God upon the very things we depend on for our prosperity. But folk, tonight, listen to me. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. We can always say, the paths of sin, too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. Remember the father who went running out to meet the prodigal who was coming home in true repentance. And he said, Lord, I, Father, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. But he was welcomed with open arms. That's the God we serve. Oh, how often do we continue in rebellion when God would say to us, come home. 